0: Good morning. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. It can be found on page 793 of your Pew Bible. But first, let's pray. Oh Lord, your word truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. Send your spirit to light our way. As we read your word today, give us eyes to see all that you want us to see, ears to hear all that you want us to hear, and hearts that might be transformed at the reading of your holy word. In your Son's precious name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Isaiah 65, 17-25 new heavens and a new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy, and all my holy mountain, says the Lord.
1: Thank you, Carol. What will heaven be like? If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that's the question we have been trying to answer. What will heaven be like? We began the sermon series on April 23rd, the Sunday right after Easter. Many of you weren't there, I remember that. So uh, I'm going to give a quick review, if that's okay. Uh, On April 23rd, we, we went to the text, specifically the words of Jesus in Luke 23. If you'll remember, When Jesus is crucified, he's crucified between two criminals. One criminal confesses that he is deserving the punishment that he is receiving, but he recognizes that Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then in all humility, he recognizes the lordship of Jesus Christ when he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Then Jesus offers this confessing criminal a word of assurance, a word of comfort, and tells him, Truly I say to you today, You will be with me in paradise. We talked about the fact that the Greek word for paradise there is paradison. It comes from a Persian word that was originally used to talk about a a walled-in garden. When the Jews were translating the Old Testament to Greek around the third century B.C., because with Alexander the Great conquering much of the Mediterranean world, Greek became the language of trade, so they wanted to translate the, the Old Testament into Greek so that many could read it. They began to do this, and as they got to Genesis chapter 2, they translated the Hebrew word gan, which is garden, and they used the Greek word paradesan to talk about the Garden of Eden. And so uh, Jews from, uh, since uh, the days of Isaiah, have been longing for the return of the paradesan, the, the return of paradise, where it was like it was in the Garden of Eden, when humanity walked with God and was in perfect communion to God, and there was no sin, there was no brokenness, there was no death. Therefore, when the original readers of Luke's gospel read that Jesus offers paradise paradise to this confessing criminal, immediately they would know that Jesus is offering heaven, the assurance of eternal life, the garden of paradise, like it was at the very beginning where there is no sin, simply communion with our holy God. Yes, these words of Jesus that we find in Luke 23 let us know that the moment we die, the moment that our loved ones in Christ die, they go to be with Jesus in paradise paradison in fact the apostle paul in philippians writing to the church in philippi as he knows that his own death is coming writes to them these words philippians 1:21 to 23 he says for me to live is christ and to die is gain if i am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which shall i choose i cannot tell i am hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with christ for that is far better. Paul knows at the moment that he dies, he will be with Christ in paradise, and so he wrestles with whether or not to live and to continue his ministry here on this earth, which has been hard and been difficult, or that he might depart this earth and be with Jesus for eternity. Yes, as we began our series, we saw that clearly: when we die, we will be with Jesus in paradise. All of those who call upon the name of the Lord will be with Jesus in paradise. But what is heaven like exactly? We know that Jesus will be with us and our loved ones and the Lord will be with us and we will recognize each other. But what about our pets? That's the big question everybody wants to know. (laughs) Will my German shepherd, princess that I grew up with, will she be in heaven? What about my, my cocker spaniel strawberry? She was a little wild and hyper. Will she be in heaven? I'm often asked this question, will there be pets in heaven? Specifically, will my favorite pet be in heaven? And I have to ask them specifically, well, what kind of pet did you have? And, and often they'll tell me they had a cat. And I go, well, I'm not sure about that. Um. LAUGHTER Now, we do know uh, from Isaiah 65 that was just read a moment ago, verse 25, that, you know, all kinds of animals and creatures are in heaven, and in fact, the wolf and the lamb will will graze together. The predator is not going to eat the prey. They're simply going to dine together, right? It's going to be great. All the animals will be at peace with one another. But I'm not exactly sure about everyone's pet, and and here's how I know. There's an illustration I saw from the New Yorker I think you might find helpful when it comes to to cats and what their testimony, uh, you show that slide, well, in or out, I mean, you can't tell a cat to do anything. If the cat wants to be in heaven, the cat will be there. But I can't make a cat go to heaven, right? Now, dogs are very different. You can train a dog to do things. And and just so you don't email me, I've owned many cats. Okay, I I love cats too, but I'm a little allergic to them. But dogs, I know dogs will be here. Here's my favorite. So you're a little Bobby. Well, Rex uh, here has been talking about you for over 50 years. Rex will be waiting for you to embrace you, to celebrate you. In fact, I'm quite certain that all dogs are in heaven. And I know it from this other uh, 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 thing I saw from the New Yorker. We could show that. All dogs go to heaven because we're not the ones who screwed it up. (laughs) That's true, right? I mean, it's not the dog's fault that humanity was, that sin came into the world. That was all on Adam and Eve. The dogs were just being dogs. The cats were just being cats. In fact, the Apostle Paul actually talks about the way that our sin impacted all of creation when he writes to the church, house churches in Rome. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19 to 21, we read, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In this passage, Paul reminds us that The shalom, the peace and the harmony that existed at the very beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth after he creates humanity, we read in Genesis chapter 1, he says, it is very good, we were very good, we were the crown of creation. And yet, beginning with humanity's first sin, all of creation was corrupted. Sin came into the world and so did death. In fact, you may remember from your days in Sunday school in Genesis chapter 3, the curse of Adam is this, Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. When sin came in the world, so did death, and all of creation was corrupted. So Paul writes to the house churches in Rome in Romans 8 that all creation has been longing to be redeemed to be restored to set free from this bondage of corruption Revelation the very last book in the Bible helps us see that there will be a final battle between good and evil and good wins the Lamb of God is, is victorious over Satan and Satan is cast into the hell of fire for all eternity and he's thrown in there never to return and then God brings a new heaven, a new earth, and all of creation is ultimately restored. So what will this new heaven and this new earth be like? Well, to find out, turn in your pew Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse one. It may be found on page 1326 of your pew Bible. Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse one. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you gave this wonderful, powerful vision to the Apostle John while he was living in exile in Patmos, a vision that was intended to encourage the seven churches of Asia Minor who were experiencing persecution, churches who needed to know how it's all going to end, what it's going to be like in the end. Oh, God, we thank you for this amazing picture you give to us. Now, as we read this description, give us eyes to see, ears to hear in a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray In all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment." It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, and the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God of the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing, unclean, will ever enter it, nor anyone, who does not, who, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's tough language, isn't it? John paints a beautiful picture and a description of the new Jerusalem that comes after the final judgment of God. The foundation of the New Jerusalem is made up of many precious stones. Ladies, those of you who love jewelry, it's all gonna be there. It's gonna be great. In fact, I've got a picture of the stones. You've got pearls and you've got jasper, which is a, a red hue. It's gonna cover the walls. And in fact, there's a picture that an artist did trying to depict what, what John has seen. And the foundation of the city of New Jerusalem has got all these great precious stones. There it is. It's brilliant. And the walls, and it's bright and it's glorious. It's heavenly. We're told that the New Jerusalem is shaped like a cube with a length and a width and a height of 12,000 stadia. Now, one stadia was equal to one stadium in ancient times for for the Greeks, and so that was about 600 feet. 12,000 times 600 feet equals 7.2 million feet, or roughly 1,400 miles. This means that the new Jerusalem is larger than India with its height and width and and, uh, length. In fact, it will exceed the earth's atmosphere. The earth's atmosphere is about 300 miles high. It will exceed the earth's atmosphere. I've got a a picture just to kind of depict what it would look like, this cube on a globe there. It is huge. Of course, when we read the scriptures, numbers are significant. Uh, Numbers aren't necessarily always to be meant, uh, measured literally, but more, what are they trying to represent? And we see the number 12 numerous t- times. And, and 12 in the Bible represents power and authority, for there were 12 tribes of Israel, and there were 12 apostles that Jesus entrusted his ministry to. And in this new Jerusalem, there are 12 gates, which is highly unusual for a, an ancient city. There usually would have been three to four gates, but this has 12 gates, meaning there's many ways to enter. They've got three gates on the west side, three on the north, three on the south, and uh, three on the east. Usually, there were just two to four gates because that made it easier to guard the city. But there won't need be a need for lots and lots of guards. They'll just have one gate angel at each gate. It's the New Jerusalem has twelve gates, three on each side, and it's twelve stadia in length, twelve stadia in height, twelve stadia in width. Twelve gates, twelve tribes of Israel, twelve foundations, twelve apostles representing the power an authority that 12 means in the Bible. This is a city of great power and authority because God dwells there. This is his city. John is telling us, as verse 3 in our text states, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God's presence helps illuminate this new Jerusalem as it's shaped like a perfect cube, 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. There's one other place that's shaped like a perfect cube. It's the holiest of holies that we'd find in the temple. 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits. As you know, in the holiest of holies, in the old Jerusalem, temple of Jerusalem, and John writes this after the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. He writes this after that. He's reminding them that, remember in the holiest of holies, how it was a perfect cube, and, and that's where they kept the 10 commandments. And once a year, the high priest would go into the holiest of holies to offer the, the perfect, the sacrifice, a lamb without blemish on that day of atonement. And so this city, this new Jerusalem, like the holiest of holies, will be a a perfect cube, but it will be much larger. And there is no temple because God's presence fills the entire city. And all the nations of the earth will will come into the city. There's three gates on each side for them to enter in, to come and to bring glory and honor to God. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book will be able to enter. As John explains in verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the fatherless, I mean, the faithless, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is tough stuff. Heaven is going to be glorious. The new Jerusalem is going to be brilliant and great. But the fact is, not everyone's going to be there. And that just doesn't seem fair to us today. I mean, shouldn't everybody get to go into heaven? It doesn't seem fair to us. Where is God's grace and God's mercy in the midst of this picture? To find God's grace and his mercy, I would encourage you to turn in your pew Bibles to 2 Peter. It's a little bit to the left of Revelation. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verse 8 to 9. Or Peter, the rock on which Christ's church was going to be founded, writes these words to the first century church. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all, should reach repentance. In these two verses, Peter is letting the first century church know why Christ hasn't returned as they thought he would right away. No, Christ has been very delayed in his return and he tells them, a day to God is like a thousand years to us. And the reason that God is delaying Christ's return is because when Jesus returns, there's going to be judgment for all. And so God is allowing humanity time to repent for God desires that all should reach repentance the book of revelation if you read it from the first chapter till the 22nd chapter you'll see there's a lot of judgment revelation revelation doesn't start off as a feel-good book i'll be honest with you you got to get to the end to feel good about it i mean there's all kinds of judgment there's the seven angels with the seven trumpets that lead to the seven judgments and there's the seven plagues and the seven bowls of wrath and the, the number seven in the bible always means wholeness or completeness And with this continual repetition of seven in Revelation, it's clear that when Jesus returns, the judgment of God will be complete. It will be full. There'll be seven seals, the seven angels with the seven trumpets, the seven angels with the seven plagues, and the seven bowls of wrath. Why is God's judgment so intense and so complete in Revelation? I love the way Dr. Bruce Metzger, a former professor of New Testament at Princeton Seminary, answers this in his commentary on Revelation. If you've read Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Christ. There's a whole chapter where he interviews Bruce Metzger to talk about the ancient manuscripts. And he used to sit there with the original Greek manuscripts and and translate. He was the chief editor of the New Revised Standard Version. I got to meet him when I was at Princeton, a very sharp and humble man of God. He writes this, explaining the, the judgment of God that we find in Revelation. Dire though the imagery is, the overall intention of the sounding of the seven trumpets is not to inflict vengeance, but to bring people to repentance. So this picture of wrath and hell means nothing more or less than the terrible truth that the sufferings of those who persist in rejecting God's love in Christ are self-imposed and self-perpetuated. God will never violate their personality. There are seven judgments there are seven trumpets, there are seven plagues so that people might repent, they might turn from their sins and recognize their need for God. But those who persist and reject God's love, well, there's only one inevitable destination. It's people who fail to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ, who persist in their habitual sins as we read in Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. They will not be able to come to heaven. We must have a genuine saving faith that leads to repentance, a faith that leads to transformation, where we seek to live for Christ and not for ourselves. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is letting us know that in the final day of judgment, there will be people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't didn't I do some great things for you? I was casting out demons and I was prophesying. And Jesus is like, I never knew you. You didn't do that for me. You did that for your own self-righteousness. You didn't humble yourself and and follow me. You did it so that others might think you were holy. Yes, we must have a relationship with Jesus. We must humble ourselves and, and see our need, our desperate need for Jesus. These are tough words. But Jesus doesn't want to just be Lord of our Sundays. He wants to be Lord of our entire lives. Every day we should humble ourselves before Christ and say, yes, Lord, may your will be done in my life here on earth as it is in heaven. We need to seek his guidance and his direction. We need to confess our sins and seek to walk according to his ways. Yes, there is grace and there is forgiveness with Jesus, but ultimately, there's repentance in the kingdom of God. God's grace should lead us to repentance, to turn away from our sins and turn towards God, humbly recognizing our need for Jesus and the salvation that only Jesus can bring. For Jesus lived a life that we can never live, he lived in perfect obedience to our heavenly father. He was without sin. And so he died the, the death that we all deserve as a, as a common criminal on a cross. He, he died. He was cursed for us. As we read in Galatians, cursed is he who's hung on a tree. He was cursed for us. He became a, a curse for us and paid the price for our sins so that we might have the gift, the assurance of eternal life, the new life that only comes through him. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I can't put your name in the book of life. I can't put my family members' names in the book of life. I can't put my friends from college and their names into the book of life. Only Jesus can do that. But the good news of the gospel As we read in Revelation, people from all nations are coming to this new Jerusalem. For Jesus invites everyone to to come to him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Heaven is glorious, it's magnificent, it's beyond what we can possibly imagine. But according to Jesus, there's only one way to get there. As we see in John chapter 14, it's only through Christ that we may enter and through his perfect sacrifice. For Jesus says to his disciples, on the very night that he is about to be betrayed, he offers these final words of comfort to them while he's still in the upper room. In my Father's house are many rooms, If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. I am, Jesus goes on to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you committed your life to Jesus? For those of us who have, are we walking in the ways of Jesus? On this Mother's Day, as we give thanks to God for our mothers, we're reminded of the things that our mothers did for us, how desperately God used our mothers to minister to us when we were just babies. For we needed our our mothers to to carry us, to feed us, and to clean us. (laughs) When we think about Jesus, we need the very same from him. We need Jesus to carry us. When the hard times come, when the marriage ends in divorce, when the job loss occurs or the loved one dies, we need Jesus to carry us. Come to me, all you are heavy laden. Jesus invites us to come to him and he will carry us. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We also need Jesus to feed us. For Jesus tells us, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need the words of Jesus to guide us and to encourage us in the midst of those dark seasons of this life. And finally, we need Jesus to clean us, to cleanse us. For when we sin against God, we know that Jesus welcomes us to come and to confess our sins. As you read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, that if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, promises us that he will forgive us for all of our sins. It's because of what Jesus has done for the cross, we know that our sins have been atoned for, and so we can come to him, confession, and, and receive his grace and forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Guided by the Holy Spirit, may we humble ourselves each day and recognize our, our need for Jesus so that we might walk in his ways and reflect his selfless love so that others might experience the love of Christ firsthand through us and begin to wonder why, and then we can tell them about Jesus. They can commit their lives to Jesus. For as Revelation tells us in that very last verse we read, Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will be able to enter heaven, that new Jerusalem. May we do all that we can while we're still on this earth, use all of our time and our talents and treasures to point others to him so that with their lips, they might confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead so they might have the assurance of eternal life that we so richly enjoy through faith in Christ today. Yes, may God use us be an instrument of his grace so that when we get to that new Jerusalem all of our friends and our co-workers and our loved ones they'll be there with us celebrating with our pets (laughs) please join me as you pray God we thank you so much for the good news of your amazing love and we thank you for this beautiful glorious picture of heaven we receive this new Jerusalem Lord there's a new heaven a new earth you've redeemed all of creation you've made all things new you've brought it back to the way it was without sin. Lord, we thank you that because of Christ's death on a cross, our sins have been atoned for. And we thank you for the time that you've given us here on this earth to to point others to you so they might repent and, and recognize their need for Jesus. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, help us to be an instrument of your grace. Help us to live in a way that reflects your love so that others may see our good deeds and give praises to you, our Father who's in heaven. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son who is the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.
0: We return to God now his tithes and our offerings.